0: Border testing. You see what's going on in New Zealand? A new election date.
1: You don't sound thrilled.
0: And more interesting facts. we are a free country, I can certainly say that. One News Inside Parliament. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's the weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here on One News as we hopefully head towards the election. I'm Benedict Collins.
1: I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay.
0: Hey, big week. We're back back in Wellington. Parliament's sitting again. We are supposed to be out on the campaign trail, but... Um, that's all yeah, screamed to a halt. Handbrake
1: yeah. going on everything.
0: Yeah, so we've had a couple of days of um, you know parliament sitting, kind of sitting. There are no select committees. They're not really passing legislation, but they are having question time. And we did have a general debate this week. So yeah, yeah, and and that's all part of you know the opposition being able to hold the government to account while we've gone back into these alert levels across New Zealand, level three in Auckland and and level two elsewhere.
1: And it's limited numbers so of course the Auckland MPs that weren't already here can't come in and sort of the people who are uh, essential really is what they've classified it. So everyone's spaced out in Parliament again and it's a bit it's a bit of a strange feeling around here because it kind of
2: feels like it's sitting but Parliament's quite echoey and empty. It's also a lot of deja vu in terms of you know just Parliament um, you know uh, operating in physical distancing rules and things like that with our stand-ups as the media, with politicians. We're having to space out um, in bigger rooms rather than on the, the bridge run or the black and white tiles as you might usually see on the 6pm news. Yeah, and um, So to it's the, all changed.
0: Back to the 1pm presses again as well, Yeah, every day.
2: Yeah, um, back to the future. Yeah, yeah. Anyway,
1: um, do we have uh, any highlights this week, guys? Um, interesting fact from my well, interesting um, series of, of events: um, Donald Trump wading into New Zealand. So uh, the US president has come out a couple of times now and said, Look, um, New Zealand is surging, and said, I was. Uh, it was held up as an example of what America should be like and now he's hitting back and so it's quite unusual to see at these big political rallies in Minnesota and when he's out and about and traveling around and then talking uh, about New Zealand so that's obviously it's something that the government um, and and politicians on all sides disagree with perhaps but it's it's a bit of a strange thing to see.
0: Especially when they're having tens upon tens of thousands of new cases every day and you know we're having 13 or and 6 cases and he's talking cases. about explosions yeah. of yeah. cases here yeah. in New Zealand th- th- that's right yeah yeah, yeah. so
1: um, um, i thought that i that was uh, something noteworthy i thought
2: Yeah, look, my peak uh, this week goes to Dr Shane Letty. I think that as the um, health spokesperson for the National Party, he's really proven himself to be a capable um, and well-performing spokesperson this week, um, handling a lot of the media interviews very well, um, when actually you have to say there have been a few hit and misses from um, his leadership team, and Gerry Brownlee and Judith Collins um, in the last week. Dr Shane Letty? Has stepped up to the plate he's and got has done tone delivered. right. Eh? Mm. that's one of the
1: things that I you can't really teach a politician that they've either got that or they don't. And he's got he's that. got the tone
2: right, and he's really considered. And I think um, yeah, he's doing a really good job. And there, given the fact that it took took national a while to actually promote him, took a couple yeah. of leaders. And, oh, I might
0: butcher his analogy here, but I think he said something along the lines: you know, if the government drops the ball, we're going to help them pick it up and, and make sure we don't drop it again. And it was interesting this week in. In question time and in that general debate, having m- numerous government ministers sort of saying, "Oh, we think the leadership should be listening to um, uh, Dr. Shane Retty or, or Dr. Shane," as um, <laughs> Judith was calling him in her media media rounds. Uh, and didn't this it week.
1: trend on Twitter or something? Wasn't Dr. 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 Shane? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good.
0: Yeah. Hey, and um, uh, it's a little bit silly, but you might enjoy this. This is one of my highlights of the week. We had a, um, a stand-up um, with Deputy Prime Minister. Um, Winston Peters, uh, we, we can have a look at it now. But um, just at the end of the stand-up, there was a little, a little stumble, and you might—I um, think people on Twitter thoroughly enjoyed the um, reactions of our uh, colleague out of the Stuff Newsroom, Thomas Coglin. Um, instincts, reactions of a cat. Check this out. That's wonderful. And what about low lights, guys?
1: Yeah, a couple of, couple of lowlights. Yeah, mine's not really a low like, but more like an interesting thing. Again, another interesting fact, shall I say. Um, and that's about the um, Make It 16 campaign. And they're going to court to try and challenge uh, the, the decision that you have to vote when you're over 18. Um, and I think that it's a really interesting point and And they're trying to sort of get the debate going, which I think is really interesting too. So they're trying to say, look, at 16, you're responsible for a lot of things. We should be able to vote as well. And it wouldn't be... Taking it to court wouldn't be in time for this election, um, but I. But interesting that they're doing it. The other thing that's quite interesting is there are a number of of people who couldn't vote when the election yeah, 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 was that, in September 19 yeah. and now can. So it is kind of interesting, that that little group of, of people who are just clicking over to be 18 um, over the next few
2: months. And it was really cool, actually, to see a lot of them so excited and rush to enrol yeah. um, and talk about that. And also on that um, Vote 16 campaign, um, obviously the Children's Commissioner, um, Andrew Beecroft, is hugely supportive of... Of that move so um, it would be interesting to see how that petition goes um, my What do you guys reckon? Oh,
0: 16 year olds be vote. able to vote?
2: Don't think I've given it too much consideration to be honest I think there's
1: a lot of arguments for keeping it at, at. 18 when you look at the other things that people can do. But I do think that there's a lot more engagement perhaps now than there used to be with politics. The other
2: upside I think that, you know, just off the top of my head is that you could get students while they're still in school and then the school could sort of have the Electoral Commission come in and educate them about voting and enrol them and maybe that would help capture more of the young voters that we aren't seeing enrol once they hit 18.
0: And the political decisions that get made are going to affect them for are, you know more than they're going to affect any, anyone else, right? It, especially at the moment, you know, with government taking on oodles and oodles of debt. I, I you know, so certainly an on.
2: interesting, interesting debate. Yeah, mm. it'll be good to, to climb into that at some point. I think probably post election, though. <laughs> yeah. um, my pit this week um, is probably probably Ashley Bloomfield, no doubt, feeling a little bruised, um, even though puts up a, a very good front. I think. Um, no doubt bruised after what has been a revealing week in terms of uh, the lack of testing at our isolation and border um, uh, up to date um, you know, and, and speaking of Shane Letty he actually elicited a really um, uh, telling um, um, a piece of uh, information from Chris Hipkins during the House this week where he asked him who told you that there was weekly testing at the Jet Park quarantine facility several weeks ago and Chris Hipkins said it was Ashley Bloomfield and he received that in writing so, um, so interesting there but surely we'll Talk about that more soon.
0: Yeah. Mm. And one thing, not really a low light, like, but one thing I thought was really interesting. You said I went along. David Seymour, we had um, National and the ACT Party announced their um, border policies um, to try to try and strengthen up the border. And David Seymour's one was had, had sort of five different different elements to it. And, and You kind of covered it off in your track last night, Mikey, but you know, sort of suggesting perhaps you know having these quarantine managed isolation hotels isn't the best. <coughs> use of resources very expensive he's suggesting hey if we got a lot smarter with tracking you know cell phones stuff like that we could basically let people go to into airbnbs or or you know alternative accommodation much cheaper <clears throat> and if they leave that accommodation then you come down on them like a ton of bricks right and if they if they break the 14-day isolation rule they spend the, the rest of their time mounted in prison he said but he, he came up with this point and he said hey one thing he didn't like is that we're basically treating everyone the same and he said and, you know it's pretty small numbers but you know he said 501s are coming out of Australia um, you know the Kiwis who get deported on character grounds or because they've um, committed a crime he says well we're treating them exactly the same as um, you know uh, someone coming in to work on the city rail tunnel from, from France or from from Europe um, even though it, he, he argued that the 501 has a higher um, r- risk of breaking that lockdown not that I think any of them have that I'm aware but what I thought was interesting is you know the virus doesn't distinguish between whether or not you're, you've been deported from a country on you know, um, character grounds or whether you, you've come out of you know, coming here to work on a project. And actually France just the other day had like their record cases since they went into big lockdown in May. So I'm not sure that that really stacks up in my mind. No.
2: Mm. And, um, I- interesting. Given the virus
0: doesn't distinguish between characters of people. No, no. Yeah.
2: Should we start off by talking a bit about just carry on from, from the border stuff? And talk a bit about yeah, sure um, the quarantine issues and all of that. Yeah, and what a
1: what a big week it's been on that. So I think that the government's been shown to be really lacking on that front. They said it was happening, um, it wasn't. Instead of front footing it and saying, "Hey, look, we we were told it's happening, it hasn't." We're trying to ramp it up. Um, it took uh, journalists to to point it out and and say that it wasn't happening. And it's been a real sore point and a real sticking point for the government this week. And it's. Meant some um, real dancing on on the head of a pin for our health minister, and and headaches for the prime minister as well. So I think that's really been dominant this week. And you've seen all the other parties climb in. You've seen um, in reaction, uh, national releasing its policy on that, around that. You've seen the government try and react. You've seen yeah. um, New Zealand first come out and try and announce its as well. And it and I think that it does create this picture where we were talking about sort of the economic recovery and that's going to be the main part but it is now more about this managing of the economy as well uh, sorry, managing of the border as well and I think that's going to be a key decision in how people feel which side will manage it better and that's going to be a real a key factor going into election. And it
0: is remarkable that we've been getting told for months that they were really ramping up the testing at the border, um, you know, they were, because that's the highest area of risk, right? Those people who are dealing with people who might be coming into their back from overseas who have a higher chance of having COVID nineteen, but they're not isolating, right? They're going back to their families, back into the community at the end of the day. And we've been told since you know since June that they were ramping this up, that they were going to you know really bring in much tougher um, rules to keep people safe, and they just weren't doing it. Um, you know, quite quite incredible.
2: And 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 it's been interesting actually to watch. Um, the reaction from the Prime Minister and Ashley Bloomfield when questioned around accountability and who should be accountable for this, because it is a big drop of the ball, as Shane Netty mentioned, and yet when we ask them about it at the press conferences, you know, there seems to be little ownership of it, really. Um, they seem, you know, sort of say, is this a vote of no confidence? You know, the government this week has brought in Heather Simpson and Sir Brian Roche to help clean up the mess. I mean, if that's not a vote of no confidence in the current setup, and the current team and the current leadership, I don't know what is. So when, you put, when we, we put that to Ashley Bloomfield and the Prime Minister, you know, the Prime Minister was furiously shaking her head and Ashley Bloomfield sort of said, no, actually I think it's a great thing and I welcome it, which of course you do, but where is the accountability? I'm not hearing that in the narrative. I think what it does is it
1: really opens up questions to the government. First of all, on that accountability issue, is Chris Hipkins doing too much? Does he have too many portfolios and that's why that slipped or that's why he didn't notice and did it did he not ask the right questions so when they were getting those reports back and and there was that sort of voucher system that they were using and it meant they couldn't tell where people were getting tested etc did he not ask the right questions around that and I think that those those are things there and and I mean he's been in the job what nine weeks now um he's got massive portfolios. Megan Woods has massive portfolios. And it's just, if these guys are rushed off their feet, is too much responsibility falling to the director general? And does that trickle down? And I think it raises that question of, of who who's really in charge and on top of this. On, on
0: the flip side, they've absolutely ramped up that testing of those people at the border. I think yesterday that they had 99% 99%, of those people had been tested. They are obviously, you know, this has been a kick up the backside that they needed um, in terms of bringing bringing in these um, safety protocols. Yeah, Uh, and it was interesting earlier this week as well, um, Chris Hipkins talking about um, the 1pm presser being the... um, what was it—the one true source of truth, or something—the yeah. one, the one source of truth that everyone could rely upon—and yeah. then he repeatedly got things um, wrong uh, in that press conference. Named a College,
1: named for a example. school, yeah. that
0: had an outbreak which didn't, um, and, and also dismissed claims that a um, Wellington um, restaurant had been asked to, you know, been warned that they'd had a someone who had tested positive being there. Um, restaurant, and that turned out to be true as well.
2: That Pakuranga College, though, that was, that was Ashley Bloomfield, though. Yeah, it And was. so that's what I'm saying. It's like, what is happening there? How do you get that incorrect information? And when you get that incorrect information, are you going back and giving your team the rack up that they need the rack up that obviously Heather Simpson and Sir Brian Roche will now be giving them? And I just think, you know, in Chris Hipkins' defence, he has only been in that role for a short period of time. Maybe part of the blame, you could say, lies with... Dave David Clark, but also, at the end of the day, Ashley Bloomfield is on a huge salary. He needs to be across his team who are rolling out these testing regimes. I mean, you can't always go you know, to the Minister. Yes, there's definitely points of accountability at every stage, but I think a huge um, role of that accountability lies with the Director-General, and I don't think we've seen that this week. And we have to be able to
1: trust that source of information, like you say, because at the moment and I think everyone's seen it on social media there are so many swirling rumours and accusations and and people coming to us with information they think that we haven't seen and and all of that kind of stuff that's that's not fact it's not accurate and we people do have to feel like they're getting all of that information and I think the fact that when they get things wrong they need to correct it very quickly um, correct it very publicly so that people aren't confused about where it comes from but it's what, what's that face? Oh, the uh, what? Just uh,
0: the deputy prime minister seems to get a free pass when it comes to going out and spreading gossip and rumours about the outbreak. That and that's it,
1: another he, extraordinary thing for yeah, him talking the, to. The prime
0: minister just sort of oh oh, it's just you know, yeah. it's just Winston. He gets a free pass when he goes on um, Australian that's, media. That's true. And, yeah, that's true. And we called know. him out
2: on that. We did a full track on that the the mm-hmm. next day. Um, and he wouldn't make himself available though for an interview. Although they did have the cabinet meeting, it was it was a very busy day. But um, even still, I think that you know we still haven't heard enough from him on that and in true Winston style, when you try to ask about those things and that he kind of just brushes it off and you know, really does the the quick sidesteps. Shall we segue from Winston Peters and his political survival
1: to the election date yeah. and changing and what that means for everyone? So yes, I so mean, it's Monday
0: Monday morning hey, yeah. we found out that the um, election's been delayed for about a month and that's because of these lockdown levels uh, all the political parties are basically saying, hey, we'll Winston Peters, New Zealand First, where the National Party was saying it's just unreasonable to hold the election given campaigning had kind of been um, shut down effectively.
1: And it just changes. I mean, n- not that it's about us, but it's even just in this in this room, it turns everything upside down for us. In Parliament, um, all the 25,000 volunteers on Election Day, mm. like it just has uh, for businesses, for um for sports games, for all of that kind of stuff, there's just so many ramifications for that election date changing. So it is extraordinary that we're seeing this happen. Yeah, I
0: went to a press conference with the Electoral Commission and the um, Chief Electoral Officer, Lee Wright, was saying, you know, like the logistics that they have to, um, you know, change to move the move the election out by a month. You know, the rebooking of hundreds upon hundreds of venues, making sure those twenty five thousand staff are still available to work election day, and obviously that that two weeks running up um you know it really does turn things on their head interestingly on RNZ this morning they were talking to the um people involved in the yes and no sides of the referendums and i heard um Ross Bell saying you know they'd just got all their leaflets printed with the, with the September 19 election date on it they'd just got all this you know material basically and it was the same for the um the no side as well you know it really has made things pretty messy for a, campaigning on not just the election but the referendum. There's going
1: to be someone sitting in the back room with a vivid crossing <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, out yeah. on hundreds of thousands of these
0: Yeah, these and, forms. and interestingly, one thing that I was saying is that um, for people who might be worried about going into a polling booth on election day, especially if there's still some sort of community transmission going on in New Zealand, hopefully it's not by then, but they were confident they could ramp up the postal voting side of things in, into the tens and tens of thousands, getting postal votes out there for people um, so that they didn't have to come in?
2: I think it was a, 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 um, a very wise choice from the Prime Minister to set that um, new election date. She was obviously under lots of political pressure from um, the opposition parties and also New Zealand First, Winston Peters, sending out that letter um, to the media, but You know, obviously sent it to the Prime Minister um, just outlining his concerns, and so you had pretty much everybody but Labour and the Greens wanting a different election date, and when you've got um, concerns raised around um, not being able to have a fair and free election then that just, you know, puts her in a tricky spot. So she had to make the call. And I think, you know, they obviously wanted November. She landed in October in the middle. And I think it was smart for her to say, I'm not moving it again when she put that decision out.
1: Although I kind of feel like you're right, politically it was a it was a good call and I think in terms of public's confidence and, and being opened up to accusations of it not being fair but at the same time I just think that by pushing it out we just don't know what's going to happen with this and I don't want to be a scaremonger and I don't want to say oh we're going to get another outbreak but two months is a really long time and I just think by it, if we had having it on September 19 I guess and going forward with it if, if the electoral commission needed to call it off they could have and i just wonder if it does um, open up open us up to perhaps having another burst or a breach at the border or whatever it is and then we have to go through this process again well, which it- was very
0: much the green party's argument of keeping it on september 19 you, you know there's a global pandemic as everyone says you know it's a very tricky virus it's impossible to know what's going to be happening you know in october or in in, in november um, david seymour his position was he would have preferred it to be Moved out to November um, But he said he didn't want to kick it on To next year Because um, he said, you know, he, he felt we did have to Have it th- this year regardless of what Was happening, so it is, yeah, it's a and, tough call To make.
2: And those points are exactly Why I see this as a purely Political decision because The the political pressure From those opposition parties and Winston Peters was just too great It was a political decision um, Based on, you know Uh, Not wanting to have to go into this um, um, campaign in September, if it were to say um, on the 19th, with just a barrage of calls from National, from Act, that it's unfair and that it's not a free (coughs) election and that, you know, they're being um, disadvantaged. And on that, I just think um, James has had a bit of a fiery week this week. I just...
1: Think he's had some really good, strong lines. Jeez, actually,
2: he could have been the pit peak too. Yeah,
1: he, I think he said quite a good way. Re- he just has had these. He's he's kind of said, "I'm just going to say exactly what I think and not worry about the the consequences or the the political nuances." And he's he came out and said, "Oh, look, that's ridiculous. That um, that people are saying that it has to be fair. You're basically holding um, holding the prime minister, blackmailing her, holding her to ransom. The sort of Thing that he was saying, and I just think he's he's been pretty strong. Oh, we also forgot to mention, and um, Winston Peters possum as well. Winston Peters did a press conference on Sunday evening afternoon. after putting
0: out his. Letter. What? Yes, yeah. after putting
1: out his letter, and there were some squeaks Sorry, like um, under the podium. <laughs> um, and they're probably about that high, and um, he said, possum. oh, there's not a possum under here, is there? And paused the press conference just to check on the, the possum, the uh, which really should have been my highlight. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I missed out on that. I think we
2: also haven't mentioned Jerry Brownlee, and yeah. he's calling um, the media favourable in a um, message and an email sent out to National Party supporters asking for donations to help in the campaign. He obviously said, and you know we've said it here on this podcast, that yes, the, the government at the moment is um, having war-to-war coverage with those 1pm press conferences um, and he also um, said that they have the deep resources of government, but then he also raised um, that they're also enjoying favourable media. Um, and so I think that was a bit of a misstep on his part again um, especially following last week with his interesting facts comments. Um, so that's two missteps for Jerry Brownlee. And what it is, is that it's becoming a distraction from what should be the leadership that he provides in that deputy leadership role. And so instead of focusing on issues at the border and things like that, his comments are starting to become a distraction and um, and it's not helpful to... The national party's calls.
1: Well, I think um, it just raises the issue of when he's saying favourable media and sending that message to his supporters. That's just not helpful in 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 terms of that whole trust and that whole um, accurate information and things like that. So I think that's that's why um, he was he was questioned about that. He also pointed out it was sent out under his name, so I'm not 100% sure. I mean, that
2: that do not Look, I don't for one second give anyone any leeway when they say things like that. It was sent out in my name. And I think he took ownership of that. Do you get what I mean? Like,
1: he said it a couple of times and then I think he just realised it was a...
2: He said that, and then when we asked him about whether or not the the media has been favourable toward the government, he was like, yes, sometimes I don't agree with the things that you guys are putting out, et cetera, et cetera. And then I asked him for some examples, and he didn't want to give them, and then he just resorted to calling us precious. So, you know, all of those things are just distractions, and on top of what happened last week, I think it's it's a misstep in terms of having an open field to criticise the government when you've got issues like lack of testing at MIQs.
0: Facilities, and especially when you've got such a big portfolio, right? When you've when there are so many legitimate reasons to hone in on, um, you know, shortcomings in the, in the government's response. When you've got that COVID nineteen border response um, portfolio, you know, there <laughs> there are a lot of things you should be talking about. Um, you know, maybe not um, interesting set of facts and um, favourable media. You know. Mm. Yeah. Hey, I've also got a fun fact that I didn't quite get in when we were talking about the election date. Did you know that once we dissolve parliament and basically uh, um, the responsibility for the election goes to the Electoral Commission? So let's say, for example, there was another outbreak. They have the ability to stop a region voting Mm. um, on election day or in in that run up to keep people safe. Um, so I'm just picking Ashburton here say for example there's an outbreak there they could stop people in Ashburton voting the rest of the country would vote but we wouldn't actually have an election night um, as we normally do um, and then once it was safe to do so and they wouldn't put out the results either of what happened during the normal election campaign or election period and election day for the rest of the country that allow Ashburton to vote later and then they'd yeah, tell us, I guess, once once that had all come in, what the results were, which would, be, um, which would be fascinating, wouldn't it? Which is,
1: political editor,
2: feels sad for my soul. The <laughs> yeah, profile. how would you cover yeah, yeah. that?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? It would be um, very different, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Any, anything else? Well, we haven't spoken about the National Party's border um, policy that all they the put out. Or the government's
0: response, oh hey? Yeah, let's <clears throat> cover that off.
2: All the government's the government's response was quite... I mean, you know, $6 million a year, but it's just a couple of CCTV thermal cameras. cameras and some alarms hardly, on the fences. Yeah, and they're not, yep. not too but, much. Oh, but they also did the 500 soldiers. Soldiers, yeah. yeah. Very... that's a um, bit of a step up too obviously New Zealand First claiming credit for that but in terms of the National Party's um, border policy really interesting that they went for the um, requirement of a negative COVID test Mm. before you get on the plane and I mean I've seen mixed reactions to that some people say look um, that is um, a great idea it's just an extra layer why not do that and then we've seen also the other reaction which is you know it it could raise human rights issues if people cannot get access to um, those tests for whatever reason Price, um, accessibility, and so on, um, and and so you've got two sides of the of the debate there. I wonder how it'll go down with voters. Well, I
0: remember um, a former press gallery journalist here, Lloyd Burr. He, um, he came down, believes with COVID nineteen in the UK in London, where he's the uh, UK correspondent for NewsHub, and he couldn't get a COVID test you know, when he he was stricken with the the disease over there. So I'm not sure how easily accessible these tests are for people. The
1: other point, just very quickly, is that, of course, it wouldn't change what happens here. You'd still have to go into managed isolation for those two weeks because uh, you would still have that incubation period. And the point that I think Chris Hipkins was making yesterday is that you often catch it in transit, so in Singapore or in Doha or wherever it is that you're travelling through. So... Um, interesting, but I wonder if it will make people feel more protected Mm. in New Zealand and and that's what they're trying to do in this policy. I was looking up
0: yesterday and Emirates actually has a policy if you fly I think into Dubai, you have to it's similar, right? You have to have a um, negative COVID test before you can get on that plane, and yeah. so
2: does Hawaii. If you leave okay. Hawaii, they're, right. they're part of that too. So, mm. so th- mm. it is happening um, in some places. So that'll be interesting. The other quick interesting thing that I found from the policy was um, Judith Collins said, you know, with, with they they want to big, big push into Bluetooth and tracing apps and so on, COVID COVID cards, all of that. And she says, you know, with that, if we have a strong rollout of that, then maybe the lockdowns wouldn't have to be so long and they could be more targeted. She mentioned perhaps locking down a suburb. So, for example, maybe like Mount Wellington or, you know, the North Shore for example I wonder how logistically well, they tried possible that, They tried that in Melbourne right? yeah. and they tried and to shut down those public
0: housing complexes and you know, it just didn't work because it's already, mm. it's already you know, several steps in front um, yeah. so those kind of mini lockdowns really didn't work over there mm. so I'm not sure they would here yeah. Plenty for yeah.
1: people to think about Lots of yeah. interesting facts to ponder
0: Yeah, very interesting. Anyway, that was One News Inside Parliament. It was our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering on One News as we head towards the now October 17 election. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and the podcast is available around this time ish. This week, or each week on One News Online, you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app.